0: Welcome in. Thanks for joining us for this latest edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We've officially reached the fulcrum point of the Sunbelt season and Week 7 action has already gotten underway. Before we get to today's episode, we wanted to tell you about Monday's episode. Caden and I released our Week 6 recap where we broke down Saturday's biggest games. Plus, we reviewed all the must-know storylines ahead of Week 7 in the Sunbelt. If you missed it, make sure you go back and give it a listen. Today, it's episode 128 of the show, and we're taking a one-week hiatus from our Sunbelt student-athlete series this week. Caden and I, we're going to be providing a mid-season review of the Sunbelt with the help of the Athletics' Chris Anini. You've probably read his work. Plus, we'll be answering your mailbag questions at the end of this episode. Caden, we decided to shake it up with the season at the midway point. It seems hard to believe that we've already gotten halfway through the season.
1: Yeah, we're shaking things up knowing this conference is shaking up. I'm very excited to get to the back half of this season now, just coming off the front half and seeing that this league is, in fact, as deep as we thought it was. So definitely like the half-point resumes that we've seen from a lot of these squads. Can't wait to get into it and maybe try to anticipate what we'll see for the rest of the season in this loaded conference.
0: Yeah, an exciting second half awaits in the Sun Belt. Well, let's not waste any more time. Chris Vianini's here. Let's get right into today's show. We are really excited to have the Athletics senior writer, Chris Bianini on the podcast for the first time. Chris, thanks for taking some time out of your very busy schedule.
2: Yeah, no problem, guys. Happy to be here.
0: Well, Chris, let's jump right in. And, you know, the biggest talking point in the offseason early on this year has been the Sun Belt's kind of place in the Group of Five hierarchy. It's highly debated kind of amongst the fans of the American, the Mountain West Conference USA. What's kind of your take on where the Sun Belt ranks right now?
2: I mean, my take is that all the conferences are pretty good this year. Like, especially at the top, like, literally, we're halfway through the season. Every conference has somebody that could play in that New Year six spot. Like, we've never seen it this open. Um, I, I think the Sun Belt obviously has a, a good number of candidates. Perhaps its best candidate is not actually eligible for that. Um, and, and and the Sun Belt is probably the deepest conference, group of five conference this year. I think top to bottom, I think when you see what's happening at Texas State, Georgia State, Louisiana's turned it around, Arkansas State looks better. Like, just From the very bottom to the top, this is the the deepest group of five conference. And that's going to make it difficult for whoever comes out of this conference to, you know, be the highest ranked group of five champion just because of how many, you know, landmines, so to speak, uh, there, there could be.
1: I really appreciate you joining us on the show, Chris. wanted to talk a little bit about how the transfer portal impacts, conf- impacts conferences like the Sunbelt. Obviously, at the Power 5 level, you hear about these splash transfer portal athletes that are making it on rosters, like a Keon Coleman at Florida State that gets a lot of attention. But I feel like at the Sunbelt level specifically, it's not talked about enough how – feels like now every year with the transfer portal, that newcomer of the year award at that level is just so big because you have players like a TJ Finley who are coming down from an SEC and vice versa up and down. How do you think not just right now in the short term, but long term, do you see the transfer portal having an impact on the group of five level and specifically conference like the Sun Belt?
2: Yeah. I've said from the beginning that the transfer portal uh, can be very, very beneficial to the group of five and the teams that understand how to use it are the ones that are going to be successful because yes, you're going to lose some of your best players to bigger programs. That's going to happen. But are you prepared to catch the guys that are coming down from another level or hold on to guys or or do some overhauls? I mean, Texas State brought in 53 new players this year. I think 39 of them were transfers, and now they're a competent program. in one year under G.J. Kinney, he did the same thing that Deion Sanders kind of did. He just didn't record it and put it up on YouTube. <laughs> and so, so, like, You have to be ready for that. You have to be able to adjust for that. You have to be a program that is positioned to take advantage of that. Texas State has an advantage because it's in Texas. There's a lot of kids who want to come home to Texas. That may be harder for some other schools, Um, but I I think if you just kind of look across the board, the ones that know how to do that are the ones that are going to have more depth, and those are the programs that will survive and continue to thrive as a season goes on even if you lose a good player from the year prior or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think it's fascinating because the more you talk with coaches at this level, they might not get those players the first time around but Chris you bring up the point of those players then coming back when they want to come home at the end of their career. I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic right now. When the Sun Belt added teams like Marshall, JMU, uh, old Dominion, Southern Miss back in 2022, they really leaned into that regional rivalry component. We've seen record crowds Chris, it seems like that decision is paying off for the Sun Belt.
2: Yep, it's exactly what a lot of us predicted when it happened. As you saw the Power Five conferences going coast to coast and losing robberies and doing all those things, the Sun Belt knew what it was and what it wanted to be. And that is leaning into programs in the Southeast that have a history of winning and a history of support and bringing them in and either rekindling robberies or making new robberies, like Appalachian State Marshall, like James Madison, Old Dominion, and stuff like that. And like you said, record crowds, season ticket sales have have been enormous. James Madison had to cap their season ticket sales because they, they sold enough of them. Um, it's, it's a very healthy place to be because whatever the future of college football looks like, it's not going to change what the Sunbelt's identity is, and that is having fan bases that really uh, support and enjoy football, and having rivalries that are nearby games you can travel to. If the Power Five, the SEC, Big Ten, whatever, split away, do whatever, keep the group of five out of the playoff, whatever, the Sun Belt has a foundation now that will survive that, and and that's very, very important and a different approach than some other conferences have made for the sake of TV money. It's just different priorities. It's not to say one is better than the other. I think the Sun Belt recognized what it was, what it could be, and leaned into that as opposed to maybe trying to stretch itself too far and creating other problems. I, I think it's a very, very healthy conference right now.
1: And it's definitely hard to talk about that foundation going forward without talking about James Madison and what they've been able to do in their early days in the conference. You wrote a great article about their transition a few weeks back. They're 15-3 and three now in their first two years of the FBS level. Could you maybe put into perspective for the listeners what they've been able to accomplish so far?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it's really remarkable. It's not remarkable in the sense that like, this is a program that already knew how to win, had the infrastructure in place to win. They haven't had a losing season in like 20 years or something like that. I forgot exactly what the number was. So like, this is a place that knows what it takes to win. So when it comes up, that mindset, that culture continues and they beat Virginia early in the season and, and, and beat Troy on the road and just have all these things. They have not lost a step. Like they're, they're right there. They're maybe the best team in the conference right now. It was just such a huge addition. Like I talked to the James Madison people a couple of years ago when it happened and they were like, look, we reached out to the American but did not receive any interest. And so we didn't really want to go to Conference USA and the Sunbelt welcomed us with open arms. And that has been a terrific fit on all fronts. Rivalries, like we said, regionality, um, support from the conference to have them be an FBS program last year, you know, to try to speed up that transition. Just everything has, has been a, a great fit Uh, J.M.U.'s done a really good job of finding players, developing players. Todd Centeno last year, transfer quarterback from Colorado State, ended up having a terrific year. So uh, just a program that knows what it takes to win. And it's been a huge addition to the Sun Belt. Absolutely.
0: Chris, you've done a lot of reporting just on the fact of their transition and even their inability to compete for a conference championship and in a bowl game. Uh, is it a travesty that the Dukes are not getting that opportunity in year two with how well they've played to begin this transition?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, even last year, I mean, they won the Sun Belt East. They just didn't get it because they they weren't there. Um, JMU knew that there was a two year transition to come up. Everybody has to deal with it. Georgia Southern went eight 0 one conference play. Its first year in the Sun Belt, didn't get to go to a bowl game. There wasn't a conference championship game back then. So, like the Sun Belt has been through this before, um, but I, I think what everybody hoped would be different was that JMU played an FBS schedule last year. They didn't stay FCS. They weren't FCS independent or in one of those like middle in between spots. You often see, they moved up the first year, the Sunbelt gave them a conference schedule. They got, they got enough home games to qualify as an FBS team. And considering they won and considering all the, 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 resources and everything they had, they hoped that would be enough to get the waiver for it to be a one year transition instead of two. It did not. You know, obviously, JMU is prepared. The reason for the transition is to to give teams time to prepare and everything it takes to get there. They are obviously there, but it's also there because it's a, a price to be paid for moving up, essentially. You know, fairly Dickinson, you know, they 16 over one in the basketball tournament this year. They only got that spot because Merrimack was a transitioning D2 school that actually won the NEC, doesn't get to go to the NCAA tournament. Fairleigh Dickinson, which didn't win the conference, does, and then they go on to beat Purdue and, and kind of do that thing. So, like, th- it's not just a JMU thing; it's it's an issue across all of the NCAA um, and something that they want to stick with. You know, especially as FBS continues to get bigger, Division one continues to get bigger, bigger. They 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 they're trying to find ways to kind of make it a little bit harder, and unfortunately, it's the price that JMU has to pay
0: yeah definitely uh you know fascinating uh, to say the least chris let's dig into this season uh who in your mind has been the biggest surprise in the Sun Belt? for me it's teams like georgia southern the texas states come to mind who's surprised you this year the most
2: uh texas state for sure to be four and two after winning four games each of the last two years in gj kenny's first year as head coach the massive roster overhaul that i mentioned before um this is a program that it's kind of in a weird spot. It's the only Texas school in the Sun Belt. It doesn't really fit, you know, compared to where a lot of the other Texas schools are in the American or used to be Conference USA. And uh it's just, it's clicked right away. The offense has been electric. Uh, they brought in a lot of incarnate word players over. And it's a program that, you know, has potential. It's in Texas. There's a lot you can like, but the, the support has lacked. You know, they they practice at the high school. Uh, indoor the weight room sometimes like there is still a long way for this program to go but they've got a coach a president a athletic director now who are all on the same page and are working toward kind of getting those investments in those facilities put in place so for for them to do what they've done so far tj finley as you mentioned before clearly a team that could contend for the sunbelt title after never coming close to doing that before which is kind of wild
1: Chris, you made a great comparison to Texas State and what's going on in Colorado, maybe even what was happening with USC with Lincoln Riley and his arrival. It seems like there's almost a formula as far as if you want to take over a program, you have to have a certain kind of coach. The quarterback's obviously a key and then bringing over players as well from the previous program. Do you think there's maybe some kind of formula now that you're going to see other teams adopt, maybe even outside of the sun? But as far as if we're down bad, if we want to come back and kind of change our program, maybe we can get some of these coaches that have shown that there's kind of maybe a track record and a formula to get things turned around pretty quickly now.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, last week, the NCAA division one council removed the um, cap on the 25 man initial counter class sizes, which had been waived for the last two years. It wasn't in place, but now it's permanently not in place. So now that door is open for everybody to kind of continue to do this moving forward. And it's going to depend where you go. It's going to depend on the talent you inhabit, you know, Deion Sanders is able to bring a different level of player to Colorado than other people could, you know, USC is USC. So Lincoln Riley knew he could get really good players to come to USC. Uh, Texas state was a little bit different, obviously, but a, but a down program, a program that hadn't shown much life for a while. So you get that influx, you bring in 10, 11 guys from incarnate word, including that offensive line uh, to kind of just boost that start. And it's uh, coaches don't get as much kind of, time anymore to turn things around now that this is possible now that this can be done and when you see the schools that are doing it and doing it well you're probably going to see more of it now moving forward whenever a new coach comes in depending on the situation
0: yeah definitely has raised the the expectation levels for these new first year head coaches after what we've seen several do lately Chris Coast of Carolina they had nine wins last year South Alabama they had 10 wins last season they both kind of underperformed to begin the year what grades would you kind of give those two programs halfway through the year
2: yeah, I mean Coastal, you're you're kind of in that C range. Look, you you losing to UCLA and some of the stuff was was expected, but the offense has just kind of been in a funk, which was a concern. You've got Grayson McCall coming back and some good players around him, but how would he fit in the offense what Tim Beck wants to do compared to what Jamie Chadwell wants to do? And it's it's been kinda of hit and miss. And and the defense was was a big problem last year. It's a bit better this year, but this is a team you expected to contend for the Sun Belt again cuz Grayson McCall was there and it kind of makes you wonder if that window is kind of closing right now um once Grayson McCall leaves it's going to be a new program and it's a program that has uh grown immensely over these last number of years um but it, it kind of makes you wonder if things are going to change at this point point. and what what was the other uh the other team you mentioned uh South Alabama yeah you know, South Alabama I was really high on coming into the year like I was not surprised that they beat Oklahoma state. I was surprised that they lost to Tulane in the fashion that they did and that they lost to central Michigan as well. So very strange year, very up and down year, a team I thought was going to contend for the new year six spot. And now they're not at three and three. So um, I'd probably say like B minus type of thing. Cause they still have some good wins. Like you've seen flashes of what we expected them to be. Uh, just haven't been able to do that consistently
1: yeah the um the consistency of south alabama has definitely been talked about a lot on this podcast this season but now that we're at the halfway point of the season obviously there's new talent and teams overachieving a little bit underachieving a little bit when you look at coaches in the sunbelt now and the expectations there who do you believe is under the most pressure now as far as the sunbelt coaches as far as what they have to do now heading into this second stretch of the season
2: it's got to be sean clark uh appalachian state that is a program that obviously you know um is supposed to win the championship every year. And you know, I talked to, remember, I remember talking to Sean Clark when they lost the conference championship uh, a couple of years ago. And, and he was like, man, the fans were all over me uh, on that. Cause that's, that's what's supposed to be done. And since then it's been a really rough stretch. You miss a bowl game last year, three and two this year. I don't know if hot seat to be fired necessarily, but, but that is a, a job that they need to turn it around in the second half of the season and have a much better second half and conference play and show that they are on track still. Because it has been trending downward the last couple of years there, and that is not a place, obviously, that is used to that happening. Chris,
0: what do you think about the Southern Miss program right now with Will Hall? That's a proud fan base that they just have not been able to perform to the level that they performed to, even looking back to last year.
2: Yeah, man, very, very surprising. Probably the most disappointing team in the conference. Uh, A team I I thought could come in and win seven games or something like that. Like I knew the schedule was harder, but they've done a really good job of accumulating talent and taking those steps forward. And I just thought, look, they went to a bowl game last year and they've done all this without quarterbacks basically because of all the injuries. I figured you get a healthy quarterback in place and everything should continue to move forward. And the bottom has just completely fallen out this year, sitting at one and five right now. I'm not sure exactly what's going wrong. I mean, everything's going wrong. Uh, just that is probably the most disappointing team in the entire conference a team that, I thought it'd really turn the corner. Will Hall and those that place really well seemed to have everything going in the right direction, and then it's just completely stopped this year.
0: Now, Chris, we're halfway through the season. I think it's appropriate to start talking about bowl games a little bit. There's a real possibility, I think, right now, that the Sun Belt could have as many as eight bowl teams. JMU would technically make that cut, but if there's not enough teams, that's over half the league. What does that say, kind of, about the strength of the Sun Belt Conference currently?
2: Well, it's about the depth. Like I said at the beginning, just this team, this conference top to bottom is really quite strong. And I think the conference kind of added a didn't it add a bowl spot, I think, a year or two ago or something like this. So, like, I think it's kind of a sign of how, how the conference plays, how ESPN feels of the conference. And um, it's going to make those those. um clash is very very close because you're going to want to get to six and six you're going to want to get into a bowl game we've had years where six and six teams don't make it because there's too many bowl teams and, and so this is a conference that doesn't have that many bowl spots so you're going to want to make sure you get to seven eight wins so you can feel comfortable about where you are and it's going to be difficult like i said in a conference where pretty much every game is going to be a, a a challenge
1: yeah chris it's hard not to talk about the bowl games in the future we're talking about the exciting future as well with the 12 team playoff coming next year i think Obviously, fans are excited about seeing that. And I think at the group of five level, fans are excited to potentially see one of their teams, whether it's a Sunbelt school, be able to make that cut. But it seems like with conference realignment now, maybe there's a chance with conferences a little bit more loaded, the power five, it might be harder for teams to get in there. What's your take as far as a like Sunbelt school or group of five school making the 12 team playoff when that time comes next season?
2: I mean, I think you'll see the same thing you're seeing this year with the New Year six spot, which is every conference kind of has every conference can be in play for that. And so Sun belt has got a chance. Americans got a chance. You know, Boise State on the Mountain West feels like it's got a chance. Now that you don't have a Cincinnati, a UCF that are like clearly the top team, depending on the year, kind of getting that spot, uh, it's really wide open. And I, I think that's going to be really exciting. I think it's going to make a lot of games late in the season feel a lot more exciting. It's going to make conference championship games a lot more important than they have been. So uh, I see so many positives for the 12 team playoff coming out of the group of five uh, and and the Sunbelt, the American, whoever it is, like all these conferences are going to be fighting for the spot. And that's just really fun. It's what we have this year, I think is a preview of what we're going to get. Same thing in the 12 team playoffs. It's just a bigger reward at the end of it.
0: Yeah. Which is ultimately good for fans. Chris, last question here. We'll have you maybe look into the future a little bit. Obviously conference realignment waters continue to churn. If you're looking at the Sun Belt, is this a league that should be looking to expand and if they do, what type of schools should they be targeting in the future?
2: I don't I don't think so because I don't think you want to get too big cuz one you know, at some point you start diluting the money that you're making per school. You can only expand to a certain point and you would only want to bring in a school that fits the conference in terms of having support, having a winning history all that kind of stuff and, and, and geographically it has to fit. I, I don't know if anybody in the American would really want to move out from where they are, but like I would think like East Carolina, you know, would fit. That's a program with a, a long history, really good support, but they're making a lot of money in the American. And so I don't think there's really an incentive to kind of get out of that. And then the other would be probably like Western Kentucky, which used to be in the Sunbelt. And there are some hard feelings over them leaving the Sunbelt to go to, go to Conference USA back in the day. Uh, it's another place with it with a good solid support system there with with a fan base and they've been a good program for a while but I don't think you do it unless you kind of have a natural fit and unless ESPN is willing to pay you more for it it's ultimately what this always comes down to
0: yeah ultimately I think those are those are all great points you're making Chris we've really enjoyed uh you coming on and talking uh some shop I uh, always appreciate the the coverage that you do of the uh the conference at the national level
2: yep no problem guys thanks for having me
0: been a lot of fun talking with Chris. I've read his work, really enjoyed talking to him about the Sun Belt. He's one of the more plugged in national guys in terms of what the Sun Belt
2: is doing.
1: Yeah, it's always good to get on the microphone with someone who's a fellow lover of the Sun Belt. You can tell that Chris takes his time and takes his detail when it comes to learning about the Sun Belts, the in and outs of it. And it was just great to hear him almost reinforce and kind of talk about some of the stuff we've been talking about in the offseason, some of the stuff that's been happening this season and kind of forecasting what the rest of the year is going to look like.
0: Yeah, Caden, couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the more interesting things, we asked him about those coaches that are on the hot seat. What'd you think of his take right there? I know I brought up, you know, Will Hall and maybe some of the struggles at Southern Miss, but he mentioned just the pressure on Sean Clark as we head throughout the remainder of this season at App State.
1: Yeah, the pressure's there, and the pressure comes with the expectations. I think it's good to know as someone who's a little bit of App State homer, if anyone has listened to this program, that the expectations not only just In my head, in the App State community are are like that, but nationally as well. So I think it just goes to show how good of the resume App State has built up in the last couple of years. And that's where that pressure comes from. But similar situation with Will Hall and a lot of these other coaches. I think at the end of the day, this conference is so much more talented. It's so much harder to win games that I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of leashes all these coaches are as, as far as us getting to the end of the season, what they were able to accomplish this year, just given how talented the conference is.
0: Ken, also, I love this perspective on Texas State. We've been talking on this podcast for quite a while that there's a lot of similarities between what Deion Sanders has done at Colorado and what G.J. Kinney has done at Texas State.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I know that we were probably the first people to get on that wave as far as making that comparison. But I think when you just look at the entire nuances and changes of college football right now, it's interesting to see how those are impacting the Sun Belt and how the Sun Belt's adapting. Clearly, Coach Kenny at Texas State is adapting well. It's going to be very interesting to see moving forward what other programs kind of take over that model just because with the transfer portal, with the influx what you're able to do now, as far as free agency being more what it looks like in the off season versus kind of recruiting. I think it just puts the Sunbelt in a very interesting position, especially given their status as kind of that top group of five conference.
0: Well, Kaden, we promised the fans a mailbag. I know you've been itching for one all season long. We've got about eight to 10 questions and we also have a special guest joining us for this mailbag episode. You've probably heard his name at the end of our episodes, Brett Jemis, who does all of the fantastic graphic design work for us he's going to come in and moderate Brett thanks for coming on the podcast for the first time it's uh, we should have made this happen a lot sooner
3: hey well again I appreciate you guys having me on first time for me but uh yeah you know I'm I'm ready to, to help out in any way I can I appreciate y'all
0: well Brett let's jump right in and I know you've got some great questions go ahead and uh throw out some of the questions that the listeners had for us in this episode
3: yeah. So this first one here, either of y'all can answer it. But without further ado, first question, how do you think James Madison will fare throughout the rest of this of the Sun Belt East play?
1: I'll take this one because I think even despite how, no, how I know Noah feels so strongly about James Madison, I think throughout this year I might feel even stronger than him about them. I think it's really kind of getting to me and it shows by how I feel about them not being able to participate in the conference championship again. Again, which is looking like they're poising themselves to be there and especially a bowl game, just seeing them play against some different competition. But it's no secret that the East is going to be a gauntlet. It's tough to get through. But I think when you look at JMU, I still see them faring very well on this side of the conference, looking at the rest of their schedule, especially the fact that they don't have to go to a place like Statesboro. They host Georgia Southern this year. They host App State this year as well, which I think will be big for them. But ultimately, it just comes down to their style of play. I think when you look at all the teams in the conference and how they are able to win, the way JMU is doing it is just the one you can kind of see imposing their will as far as their style, being able to stop the run, being nationally acclaimed there. I just think their style of play and the way that they get after it is just going to make it to where they're going to be favored in all of these matchups, rightfully going to the rest of the season. So I think there's a chance this team can run the table. We saw what they did last year. If they stay healthy and they keep doing what they're doing especially on the defensive side of the ball with the way they're able to kind of make teams one-dimensional and kind of make them play their game. I think they're the best team as far as in that entire conference at making you play their game and succeeding.
0: Caden, are they on an upset watch this weekend against Georgia Southern again this year?
1: They definitely are, and especially because of what I just said. I think out of all of the teams they can impose their will on, Georgia Southern, with what they're able to do offensively, definitely could push them, I think, as far as making maybe them uncomfortable because they don't really have to run the ball too much to be successful, as we know.
3: What else we got, Brett? All right, I got a second question for either of y'all. So, with the win over Texas State, do the Ragin' Cajuns have a legitimate chance to win the Sun Belt West?
0: Okay, now I think I'm going to go ahead and take this one. Um, this is really interesting. We talked a lot about it on Monday's episode, and I asked you you know, a, a very similar question of who had the better outlook moving forward. You actually answered Texas State despite you know the loss to Louisiana, but the more you look at this Louisiana schedule, Caden, it, it's very challenging. I, I think you look at the road games. I think that's where you have to start. They've got road games versus South Alabama on October 28th. You got to go to Troy on November 18th. Those are probably two of the better teams in the West. Uh, you know, maybe you could argue a little bit on South Alabama. But, Caden, here's what I really like about the Raging Cajuns right now it's the fact that they've got a real shot to go 3 and 0 at home. You know, the rest of this year, you've got. Georgia State coming in this weekend. That should be a really good game. Uh, and then you've got Southern Miss, you know, who's also going to come to Cajun Field. You also welcome ULM. So to me, those are three winnable games uh that Louisiana could have. You also have a road game left in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So I think there's a real chance here that Louisiana puts themselves in this conversation throughout the remainder of the year to be that West division champion. I think they're putting a lot of pressure on a young freshman in Zeon Chris. I think that's the only thing that maybe holds me back right now. He's clearly proven that he's a star in this league. He's been playing fantastic early on in his career. But, Caden, you know as well as I do, you get to some of those games in November when the pressure ratchets up, and it's going to be interesting to see how Zeon Chris plays.
1: Yeah, and I'll piggyback off that just saying, we talked about it when we were recapping their game against Texas State. The fact that they were able to be put in those pressure situations early in the season and deliver is what really makes me excited about them the rest of the year. I think when we looked at their season last year, it was clear they took a step back from that championship level they were playing at. But they really showed shades of what we saw from that championship team years ago. If you look back at that season they had when they were really winning games and not rattling them off they weren't all blowouts. They had to win some close ones and some tight ones, especially at home. So that was kind of the first time since that season I kind of got that vibe. So that's why I think just from a culture standpoint, playing to that championship level is what makes Louisiana so scary.
3: All right, let's keep it moving, y'all. Got the next question. Now that Old Dominion has exceeded expectations, which ODU shows up after the bye week? And can they get to six wins in bowl eligibility?
0: Kane, I'm jumping on this one again. And honestly, I think the listener that asked this question is asking the question that all of us have been asking is who shows up after the bye week. We have not had an answer for who shows up for old dominion all year long. We've seen the, you know, the passing game be really good. We've seen the rushing game. I think the defense has probably been the most consistent part uh, for old dominion this year, but uh, I don't think we really know on offense. We did see this past weekend where it was a little bit more balanced, passing and rushing. I think that that was an interesting tell. When I look at this right now, Kaden, you've got three wins, you're 3 and 3 on the season. I'm kind of leaning towards them not getting to a bowl game and here's why. You could probably make the argument that teams like App State, JMU, Georgia Southern, and and even Liberty, I know Old Dominion fans aren't going to like to hear that, but they are 5 and 0 right now, although that win they had over Sam Houston on the weekend, you know, you can judge that how you want. But I think all four of those teams are better than Old Dominion right now. I do think Georgia State and Coastal Carolina are a little bit more wild cards at this time, and the good thing is both of those games are at home. Um, I don't love their chances to pick up three more wins, but Kayden, I, I feel like they're a definite possibility to do it. They've showed that they can you know, go in and play really well against some good teams, so there's, a, there's an outside chance here, but if I was betting on this right now, I think that Old Dominion's probably sitting at the five-win mark, and maybe they miss a bowl this year, and perhaps next year you get into one.
1: Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I think we've seen such high peaks of them. I think that that's what kind of gives the fan base a little bit of promise. I mean, any team that can score 35 points against Marshall and then do what they did defensively against Southern Miss, keeping that team out of the end zone as far as their offense goes, I think that shows the potential you want to see. Hopefully in the bye week, they can lean into that some of that stuff. I don't think they're going to rattle off a bunch of wins in this competitive East, but I do think they're a team that could maybe catch a Coastal Carolina slipping, catch a Georgia Southern slipping. They showed last year in their win against Coastal Carolina and in moments this year that they can definitely knock some teams off and make some noise.
3: All right. I think Noah's been on a roll here. Caden, I'm going to kick this one over to you. Trojan fans know that the 2023 squad isn't the one from last year, but realistically, what do you think the chances are for them repeating?
1: Very, very, very high, I think. I think the fact that Troy was able to win the way they did last year and go on that amazing run and lean on their defense so much, it was really a magical season. And I feel like when you look at them this year, they're better in kind of the certain areas that you'd want them to be heading into the year, especially with the offense. We've talked in length, at length, about Gunnar Watson and how he's grown. We know Kamani Vidal is now leading the nation in rush yards, which is insane. Their defense, despite them not getting that pressure, despite them not having those guys that you remember from last year that really made that championship run special, like the Carlton Marshals of the world, they're still very formidable and they still strike fear into their opponents and they still play very hard, especially in the secondary. They've been playing great this season. So I think Troy, especially given what they've shown last year, they can prove that they, I think with the coach Summerall, he talked in the off season about how each game they played last year, they found their recipe to win, whether that was them having to lean on the run game late in the season, whether they knew the defense was going to have to really pull more weight in certain situations. And I think this year they might have to do that even less and have more of a style, which makes them, I think more dangerous when you compound that championship pedigree that they built up last season.
0: Yeah. Kane, I definitely, I agree with you there. There's not much that I can really add. I think the offense is better this year. I do want to see improved defensive line play, but I do think in a you know a wide open West right now, you have to consider Troy the favorite in that West. They're sitting at two and one as of you know the recording of this episode. Um, but I I think there's some teams that could certainly challenge them. So I think it's gonna be uh, interesting to see the rest of the year. Brett, what else we got?
3: All right, this is to either of you guys. Joey Aguilar has done a tremendous job as QB one after Ryan Berger's injury. Ryan is back practicing now. What does Joey need to do in order to secure the starting role?
0: Kane, you've got to take this. You're the app state guy.
1: Naturally, right, naturally. So I think When you look at Joey Aguilar, I don't have some high analytical answer for this one. It's it's, it's straight up win. That's what this App State fan base cares about is winning. It's the most important statistic when it comes to quarterbacks is wins and losses. And they, quite frankly, don't care how you go about it. I think if I would have played quarterback at App State with my arm that does not throw probably more than 35 yards and we were undefeated, this team and fan base would not care about what I'm bringing to the table. So I think the most important thing for Joey is winning. He's undefeated so far in Sunbelt. play, barely by getting that win over Louisiana Monroe. Shout out to Michael Hughes for bailing him out there. But I think as long as he plays the same way he is all season and this team's winning, he'll be fine. But if they might maybe start losing games, that's when we talk about that magnifying glass getting bigger on some of his issues when it comes to maybe turning the ball over and things of that nature. So winning is the most important thing. He's going to obviously have to rely on his defense and his weapons around him to impact that. But ultimately, as long as he shows command and confidence in the pocket and does what he keeps doing this year and it comes and wins, I think that I say fan base is going to not be asking for Ryan Berger anytime soon. All right, y'all. I'm going to kick this one back to you, Noah. Southern
3: Miss is one in five through six games. What changes, if any, would you like to see made in Hattiesburg?
0: Caden, how did I get saddled with the Southern Miss question here? I feel like that's been kind of a theme uh, <laughs> in the podcast history. But, you know, this Southern Miss team, and Chris, you know, spoke about it earlier. They've probably been the most disappointing team. I think most of us thought that this was a team that could at least get to seven wins. Everyone knew the schedule was really difficult. Uh, and to see kind of the bottom drop out has been really disappointing. You know, for me, I think there's a couple of changes that you look at. I think fans have already started to clamor that maybe Coach Hall's job should be in doubt a little bit. I think it's way too soon to be saying that. Uh, He did get this team to a bowl game last year. Kane, I think you brought up an interesting point on Monday's episode. You talked about maybe making some changes at the offensive coordinator position or at least looking at, you know, a different game plan in terms of, you know, how you're utilizing your offense. I think those would probably be some of the bigger changes that I would make. The other thing, too, at this point, I'm not sure how much more Billy Wiles can give you. So at what point do you just say, hey, we're going to throw Holman Edwards out there and we're going to see what he has? I know you went with Billy at the beginning of the year, but he hasn't been great. I think this team needs a shakeup and maybe you catch lightning in a bottle with Holman Edwards. But I really think those are the big things. And then, Kane, you've just got to see better defense from the nasty bunch. They've not been great lately. That was something they leaned a lot on last year, and I think they've got to get better there.
1: Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. No, I think ultimately I'm not going to repeat what you just said because I agree with everything as far as what you said for the offensive side of the ball of this team. But it's just detox season for this team. When you haven't been good in this long and you're stacking bad performances together and your team gets more used to playing bad than good, you have to do a cleanse. You have to figure out what it's going to take to flip things around, whether that's a coaching change, a philosophical change, a quarterback change. They just have to do something different, I think, at this point. All right, y'all. We
3: got two questions left, and I want answers from both of y'all on both of these questions. So first one. With Grayson McCall having a down year, who do you think has the best chance to be the
1: Sunbelt player
3: of the year this year? Kate, do you want to go
1: first? Yeah, I'll take this one. And I think the answer is pretty clear and it's Kamani Vidal. I think when you look at a guy that ranks nationally, as far as leading the nation in rushing yards, I think that's just, you have to take it there. He has six touchdowns this season. He has two breakout games going over 200 yards. And I think the biggest factor I think that's impacting this is obviously in award season, when it gets to that point across the sport, It's always a quarterback-driven thing, and I think the fact that Gunnar Watson is so improved, but his stats don't even back it up, really shows how great Kamani Vidal is playing for this offense. So I would love to see him as a running back guy, to see him get into that stage and win that Player of the Year award. But I also think guys like a Davis, Brennan, and TJ Finley, the way they're playing, if they could lead their teams to those wins and find themselves in that championship conversation or the game itself at the end of the year, that would help their odds too. But I think just given the pedigree of Troy from last year and what Kamani's doing on a national scale, I think he'd be my choice.
0: I knew I shouldn't have let you go first. Caden, I think I'm going to go TJ Finley here. I really like what I'm seeing out of him. You know, you talk about guys ranking nationally, and when you look at TJ Finley's stats, he's actually third nationally in completion percentage right now. He's not throwing a lot of interceptions. He's putting up big numbers in that offense. I I think Davis Brin's a good option there as well. I think he's played well enough another guy that's ranked inside that top 10 nationally. Uh, in completion percentage and putting up big numbers passing the ball he's top five as of the end of this past week so I think those are some guys if there was one sleeper for me I think Ishmael Mahdi for Texas State as well is just putting up some incredible numbers right now he's actually leading the country in all-purpose yards I think if Texas State can win enough I think one of those two has a real good chance at being the conference player of the year but I like the Kamani Vidal route. I think that there's a real chance that that could happen if he continues to play at the level that he's playing.
3: All right, last question. Let's finish strong here, boys. Which Sunbelt team has the best chance to make it to a New Year's Six bowl game if the Mountain West, Sunbelt, Conference USA, and American Athletic champions each have two losses?
0: Okay, now I'll go ahead and go first here. I I think that there's a a world where we're not going to see one team with two losses. I, I think that there's probably going to be a clear front runner that establishes themselves. I think we all could wish on the fact that maybe James Madison goes undefeated and some crazy rule gets changed. Uh, But, you know, I think if you're looking in the Sun Belt, I mean, for me right now, the Sun Belt's best chance at getting someone into that New York Six Bowl game, it has to be Marshall. I mean, they only have the one loss right now. That's to NC State. Uh, they'd have to run the table at this point, I think, because the one thing we saw last year is there were you know, a couple of two-loss Sunbelt teams that didn't get in over a three-loss American Athletic Conference team. So I think right now the AAC's probably getting that bid. I think that's just how things are going to go. I mean, you have some of these other teams that are in the mix, but I, I think that there's going to be a team that has one loss, and if not, I still think People are going to lean towards the American athletic conference just because of the the pedigree in the history. I know Sunbelt fans don't love to hear that.
1: Yeah. I'm going to try my best not to dance around this answer, but I'm definitely about to boogie a little bit. I think when you look at this conference, obviously it's going to come down to who's in that championship game and who wins as far as this question goes. And I think, If Troy does do what they did last year, I think they could possibly have that national pedigree from what they did last season. Obviously, Troy isn't the biggest brand nationally. Their their style of winning, especially last season, wasn't very flashy. But I think what they were able to do to UTSA, specifically in that bowl game to end the season, kind of garnered them the respect to where it's like, okay, if Troy does this again, maybe we can give them that spot. But ultimately, I think it really... The highest potential of this happening is if any of these one-loss teams can come out of the East. You talked about Marshall. If any of these teams in the East who have one or two losses can run the table, I think that definitely heightens their odds of making it there. I think right now, if I had to pick a favorite, truly, it might be Georgia Southern. I think every night before I go to bed, I just can't imagine a team beating them in a shutout. So we'll really see if James Madison does it. So if James Madison loses to Georgia Southern this weekend, I'll double down on that answer. But Marshall could also do what they're capable. Georgia State, people are forgetting, still has one loss. But I think it's ultimately going to come down to that. If I had to pick today right now, though, I'd go with Troy given their track record last year. I think they kind of got some of that national claim as far as a group of five team that can consistently win going forward under coach.
0: Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see. I think that, uh, Brett, uh, I think that's all we've got. Those were some great questions from our listeners,
3: right? Yeah, definitely. You know, appreciate you guys bringing me on. And who knows, maybe later on this season, I'll be able to pop up on another episode.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we might have to make this a regular thing. Maybe get some more mailbags in here. I know the, the listeners always love uh, throwing questions our way, but Brett, really appreciate uh, you taking a little bit of time to jump on. Well, that's going to do it for another great episode of the Frarian & Smith Podcast. We'd like to say a special thank you to The Athletics' Chris Bianini, for joining us on today's show, as well as to all of our listeners who submitted questions for this mailbag. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with another episode on Friday where we'll discuss all the big games coming up in the Sun Belt that are going to take place in Week 7, including our game of the week between James Madison and Georgia Southern, a game that I'm planning on being in attendance for. That'll do it for us here at the Frey and Smith podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, drop us a five-star review before you go, leave us five stars, let us know what we could be doing better or what you love about the show. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frey. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.